Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today I'll be reading John 16, 7 to 24, and verse 32. But very truly I tell you, it is for the good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have so much more to say to you, more than you can bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why, said the Spirit, will receive from me what he will make known to you. Then Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then in a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Like many families in living in D.C., we have been waiting the results of the public school lottery program. And if you're not familiar with the process, parents here have the option to apply for their children to attend a multiple of schools, uh, multiple options for schools. But because of high demand and limited spots, uh, you're entered into a lottery for that position or that spot in the school. Now, as parents, we're thinking about the education that might best meet the needs of Evan, in this case, uh, for his future, thinking about which school will provide the best education, paired with uh, friendships and community, and convenient accessibility. But even as we received the results of the lottery this past, uh, the previous week, there was still plenty of uncertainty. We found out that we were waitlisted for most of the schools. So what turned into the uncertainty of the lottery results turned into the uncertainty of a waitlist ranking. 
So we don't know what the future will be, but we trust that it will work out at the end of the day. But we have limited control over the outcome. What do we rely on in uncertainty and the unknown? These are all things that we experience in life. And maybe you're experiencing it even today as you came into this space or as you're listening online. The uncertainty of education options for our children. Maybe it's the uncertainty of your health condition or the health condition of a loved one. The uncertainty of a job situation or the lack of a job prospect or this uncertainty of housing. The question is, what kind of resource do you rely on to carry you through this uncertainty and the unknown? Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I handle it in two ways often. One is problem-solving mode, Andrew, which looks at all the options and then evaluates them and tries to decide on which is the best uh, way forward. The other option is, forget, just ignore it, Andrew. <laughs> Brush it off to the side, and maybe someone else will take care of it, or it will just go away. <laughs> but neither of these always ends up in the best results. Perhaps there's another way to approach the unknown and the uncertainty in our lives. For Jesus' disciples, They've been sharing a meal with Jesus and listening to his final parting words with them. They too are experiencing a lot of uncertainty and the unknown. You see, their teacher and their leader were, was about to be taken away from them. And they will soon find out that he will literally be removed from their presence, crucified, and die before their eyes. And here, Jesus is warning them of this per persecution and against apostasy that they are to be careful of with his absence. How were they to live in light of this impending departure of their beloved leader that would affect their future? We're walking through the Gospel of John through this Future Life series, and we're looking at how this future life that Jesus secures for us is made available to us right now in the present, even as we live. So today we're going to look at a special gift that Jesus promises to his disciples and to each one of us and to everyone who's willing to receive. This gift carries us through moments of uncertainty to experience the unshakable joy offered by Jesus. This gift is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And while this passage is packed with significance that could be covered over several passages, we're going to look specifically at how the Holy Spirit reminds us of three things. The Holy Spirit reminds us of our access, reminds us of our comfort, and reminds us of our victory. Access, comfort, and victory. Now one piece of, the news, one piece of news that's coming out of the White House lately has been the concern for whether security clearances have been granted to people who shouldn't have them. Now, in the realm of national security and, and planning, access to confidential information is a big deal. No one can just walk up to a government computer and punch in what they want to find out. You can't Google it, right? But what you can find on Google is this 136-page application for national security clearances. So don't worry, I only printed out the first page for those of you who are concerned about killing trees. The rest of it is scrap paper for, for, uh, for effect. But if you look at this form, you have, to, you have to fill out not only your name and your address and all this other stuff. It's quite extensive. I, I look through it. You have to fill out, you know, your personal and professional history, your character, 
They'll talk to your, list your neighbors, your teachers, your people, people who know you well, um, your spouse, and your previous spouses. There's actually like four lines for previous spouses. I don't know what happens if you go beyond that. Your relatives, including your half-sisters, your step-siblings, and your foster parents. It looks at your police and criminal history, financial history. The form is 136 pages long, and that's just filling it out. That doesn't guarantee you any access. Fortunately, access to the living God is not quite so complicated. Though it could be just as well and just as restrictive because God doesn't need you to fill out an application form to read your mail. He knows all of our story like an open book. In verse 13, Jesus says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. When we come to know Christ, we have access to the most incredible resource, the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit grants us access to the presence and the knowledge of the living God. And that doesn't mean that we get to know everything that God knows. More specifically here, Jesus is telling his disciples that the Holy Spirit will guide them into all truth about himself. The Spirit guides Jesus' followers into all the truth. And notice Jesus here doesn't say the Spirit will guide into all truth about everything, but all the truth. He uses the definite article here to indicate a specific truth. And remember, two chapters earlier in the same conversation that Jesus is having with, with his disciples, he says this claim. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In this context, Jesus is saying that the Spirit will help the disciples to understand and to see Jesus for who he is. And that will help with their uncertainty. You see, up until this point, they only understood Jesus through their physical eyes. But through the Spirit of God, they would begin to understand Jesus through their spiritual eyes. Or to put it another way, God's Spirit helps us see God's Son as he's meant to be seen. And God's Spirit helps us to see God's Son without all the fogginess of our preconceptions. The assurance that Jesus gives his disciples here is in verse 14 and 15. He says, He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So when we hear from the Spirit, we hear from Jesus. And when we hear from Jesus, we hear from God the Father, the living God. The Spirit enables us to access the living God in a way that was never possible before, before Jesus promised him to his followers. When it comes to the living God, you don't need special security clearances. All you need is the Holy Spirit clearance. In the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have direct access to the living God. And though we may face uncertainty around us, we have the certainty that God is with us through the work of the Spirit. Which leads us to the second and related point, comfort. In the middle of this chapter, Jesus addresses their grief over his departure. He knows that they're going to feel abandoned because they are going to see their beloved teacher betrayed in just a few moments. Jesus will be beaten, crucified, and buried as a criminal would be. 
Jesus Jesus likens this to the pain of childbirth. But the gift on the other side of this pain and sorrow is this joy that Jesus promises. In verses 19 and 20, in the middle of the chapter, Jesus tells them that he's going to be gone for a little while, referring to his crucifixion, and that he will return once again, referring to his return in three days. They don't know at this point that Jesus is going to die and be resurrected. They don't understand what he's referring to. So in verse 22 and verse 23, he, he continues. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. The disciples are confused as evidenced by their dialogue in verses 16 to 19. But the the Spirit offers a unique kind of comfort here for the disciples. For a good portion of my teenage and adult years, I attended a charismatic Pentecostal churches, or Pentecostal churches. And it was in these settings where I came to know and experience this closeness with God's presence that has brought me incredible comfort over the years. I remember one conference I attended in Southern California where I came to experience God's love for me in a very personal, meaningful way during a time of musical worship and prayer. During that time, God felt so close to me that I began crying and thinking of how much he loved me, not because of what I did or because of how I performed, but simply because of who I was and because of Jesus' love for me. That was a new revelation for me. I had always, you know, growing up in the church, I'd always believed that God loved me. But the Holy Spirit helped me to understand God's love, not just in my head, but also in my heart. And I began experiencing his love for me in the fullness of my humanity. The Holy Spirit, of course, can, um, the comfort of the Spirit, of course, can be an experiential one where we sense the nearness of God in a special way like this. He's created us to engage with him with all of our being, with our minds, with our hearts, and with our bodies. And so through the Holy Spirit, God reveals the depths of his love and his character to us through all of our human experience. And so maybe for you today, you've known God maybe with this left brain. You understand theology, and I love theology. But this intimate personal relationship is something that God offers to us through the work of the Spirit. And I'm not going to go charismatic and Pentecostal on you. (laughs) But if that happens, great. (laughs) But I maybe invite you to pause. I'm just going to pray for you right now. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and meet you in a way, in a personal, meaningful way, however you need to know Jesus. And just, if you want, you can open your hands in a posture, palms up, saying, Holy Spirit, come. And in the quietness and sacredness of this place where God is here, maybe he'll meet you in a new way. Holy Spirit, come. Come and help us know Jesus more clearly. Not only with our brains, but with our hearts and with our bodies. Come and fill us. And bring us to places of intimacy that we've never experienced because of your great love for us. Thank you that you never let us go. And you're always pursuing us. And you know our needs. 
and you know our questions. Thank you, God. Fill us now. In Jesus' name. you can go and do what you need to do with God as, you, as we continue on. The comfort of the Holy Spirit can come in this very personal, intimate way and continue to invite Jesus into your life like that. It doesn't have to happen in a service. But here in this text, Jesus is talking about a different kind of comfort of the Holy Spirit as well. They're wondering what's going on. And the Holy Spirit here, he's saying, will lead them to all truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit will remind them of what Jesus had said to them already, but it just didn't click yet. As N.T. Wright puts it, the Spirit will nudge their minds and imaginations into ways of knowing and things to know that Jesus could have said, but didn't. The Spirit will make things click in ways that they didn't get when they heard it the first time. I'm so thankful that God helps us with that because I hear so many things that don't click. When the Spirit comes to the disciples, Jesus says, you can ask anything in my name and you will receive it and your joy will be complete. Jesus gives us incredible assurance here and to the disciples when it comes to prayer. But it's not what we often think because if you've been around church a while, you just like ask anything in my name and you will have it. Praying in Jesus' name means praying in a way that is consistent with his character and with his will. Praying in Jesus' name also means praying and coming to God the Father in the authority of Jesus. So when we ask for anything in his name, what we often hear is, ask for anything and you tag on in his name and you'll get it. But I think what a better way to read this is ask for. That means anything you can ask for. You can come to God, but anything in his name. Ask for anything in his name, and he will grant it, because that's who he is. Here's another way to look at it from the psalmist psalmist David in Psalm 37, verse 4. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We read that and say, oh yeah, I have all these desires. God, I delight in you. Give it to me. (laughs) But when we begin to understand the living God for who he is, we find that our delight and our desires are subsumed into his. And we begin to desire things that he desires and we begin to desire the right things which are best for us and best for the world around us. The comforting work of the Spirit isn't that just he just doesn't function as it's this divining stick to help us make decisions and turn off our brains. Or he's like a divine vending machine. The primary comforting work of the Spirit is that he helps us to see Jesus and understand him and to know him more clearly. The Spirit makes this truth about Jesus like music makes words come alive for us. This morning, we started off the service with the declaration, In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song, my comforter, my, uh, my, the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Beautiful words. Truthful words. Meaningful words. But when you put those words to a melody... And when they're reinforced with rhythm, the words come alive and bring our hearts to delight. 
And when you get to the musical climax of the final stanza, that always gets me. When we sing, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Doesn't that make your heart sing so much differently? Not because of my singing, but because of the melody. (laughs) The beauty of the words comes alive in our hearts. And says, yes, I believe that. And that's kind of what the Spirit does for Jesus. He highlights and he magnifies Jesus. The Spirit adds the melody and the rhythm to the truth of Jesus to make Jesus come alive in our hearts. You know, I'm experiencing a great comfort of the work of the Holy Spirit even now as I'm speaking. You know, the great comfort to me as a preacher is that between my speaking of these words that come out of my mouth and your hearing of the words as they come into your ears, there's someone else at work. There's the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known to you and to tickle your hearts and to draw you close to him. And the Holy Spirit continues to work in your life even as you leave this building and go into your day and to your week. Because if it all depended on me in these 20-something minutes, we'd all be hooped. This week I had the privilege of seeing my preaching professor, Daryl Johnson, as he came into town for some speaking. And this godly and humble man has so influenced me through his teaching and encouraged me that I would never have thought to have become a preacher apart from his encouragement. At a preaching workshop on this Thursday, he reminded us of the following. He said, the preaching of the word... The preaching of the word in the spirit of God is the word of God. See, the preaching of the living word, Jesus, as we preach from the written word, scripture, is the word of God to each one of us because it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's the great comfort that we are not left alone to know Jesus in our own strength and our own guile. He gave us his spirit to help us, to know him as he is meant to be known. God's Spirit reminds us of our access to the living God and reminds us of the comfort we have in Jesus, not in our circumstances. And lastly, God's Spirit reminds us of our victory. In the final verse of the chapter, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, and in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. For the disciples and for us, joy... (laughs) is grounded in Jesus and what he has done for us, not in our immediate situation changing. And that's why it's a joy that cannot be shaken. The joy that Christ promises is grounded in this eternal, living, resurrected Christ. Not something fleeting, not just an idea, not just a concept, but it's a historical event where the living God enters into our world and makes a difference. And that is incredibly comforting. When we are overcome by the unknown, when we are gripped with uncertainty, when we we are held fast by Christ's victory. In Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus has decisively conquered the power of sin and its curse, death. And he's opened up a way for all of humanity and all of God's children to walk in the abundant life of God. That's this future life, this new life that is available to us now in the present. When we find our joy shaken, when we are overcome with uncertainty, when we feel like the walls are closing in on us, the Spirit reminds us of what Jesus has done for us and what kind of life we have available to us in Him 
Our future is secure. God has already come near to us, and he will come near to us once again. In God's kingdom, the solution to uncertainty in our circumstances is not certainty in our circumstances, but it's certainty of God's presence and his guidance through his Spirit's work because he has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful. Last week, I was attending a conference in Alexandria and sat beside this young woman named Patrice, and she gave me permission to share this. She works at a Methodist church down in the southwest waterfront. I believe this is the church I found it on, on Google, in the southwest waterfront of D.C. And, and this is, they're a small congregation, mostly of older folks, with a building surrounded by development that's looming over them. And this year, they discovered that their roof had begun leaking. And so they began getting quotes, and one quote came in at, you know, the quotes were coming in at like $60,000. She was unsure of how this would pan out for their humble congregation. You see, in their own strength, this seemed like an impossible obstacle. And with the inevitable uh, uh, development encroaching on this prime real estate that their church sat on, their future was uncertain. But they trusted that God would provide, standing on the victory of Jesus that they've come to know. So one Sunday, a couple walks into the church, checking it out. They found out the husband is a developer. Perhaps he's here to eyeball this development. But as they were sitting there and they heard the needs of the church, the wife leaned over to the husband and says, we got to do something about this. So before they left that Sunday, they'd written a check to cover the full amount of the repairs. God provides in ways that we do not expect when things seem uncertain. Through a work of the Spirit, this church, the church's needs were met in a way that they never anticipated. And that's the kind of God that we come to know because he's already done it once decisively on the cross. That's the journey of faith that Jesus invites us on. Trusting Jesus with our lives doesn't mean that all things are going to work out the way we want or the way we expect. But it does mean that our future is secure because of how God has acted in the past. A life following after Jesus doesn't preclude trouble and uncertainty because Jesus said it himself. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's guaranteed. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. As you face uncertainty in your life, how can you ask in Jesus' name? The Spirit helps us by reminding us of the access we have because of Jesus' work. And the Spirit comforts us by reminding us of the character of Jesus. And the Spirit reminds us of Christ's victory over the greatest uncertainty in the universe. Separation from God. Maybe you're here today or you're listening along, and you've never known the God of Scripture in this way. And maybe your heart is intrigued by the certainty of joy that is offered in Jesus' name. You know what? If that's you, that's already the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Inviting you to take a step towards him. Every step we take towards Jesus, whether we have known him for years or are just beginning that journey, even in this moment right now, we take a step further into this unshakable joy that he promises to us. It's an unshakable joy in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.